Coming up, Nuggets Lakers game two, the white guy, American championship belt, and AI. Yeah, that's next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find a new episode of The Rewatchables from Monday night. We did Trading Places on Sunday night, right after Succession ends. We have a podcast on the Prestige TV feed. Meet Joanna Robinson, Sean Fantasy, breaking down episode nine. I'm just telling you folks right now, this is a top six all-time Succession episode. So there you go. Right after Succession ends, you can find that podcast. Coming up on this podcast, me and David Jacoby and Joe House are going to be talking about game two, Nuggets, Lakers, as well as round three in general, and then a whole bunch of side NBA tangents. And then after that, Derek Thompson from our Plain English podcast. We're going to talk about AI because in the last six months, we talked about AI near the end of uh, 2022. And in the last six months, everything has gone haywire. We're going to explain all the ways this has become the year of AI and possibly the decade of AI. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this. It is 8.21 Pacific time. I have two East Coasters, Dave Jacoby, Joe House. We just watched game two, Lakers Nuggets. Jacoby, I'm going to start with one of the most amazing things anyone's ever said on a podcast. I can't believe the Lakers didn't let Austin Reeves cook down the stretch. You kept going to that LeBron guy. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. LeBron <laughs> is obviously gassed. He's pulling up from 27 feet every time he touches the ball, which is an obvious old guy tired move. I've done it a million times myself. Austin Reeves is just dancing, Euro-stepping around everybody. Let Austin cook. Let him cook. And they're they going to AD, AD corner threes and old, tired LeBron. There's Austin Reeves. Oh, I know what House, it is. You think, you think Austin Reeves goes in the locker room after the game and, look, and says to LeBron, LeBron, I was right there the whole game. Use me. I'm him. I, I don't think he says that. Okay. I think he's happy. He's happy to be there. Well, he's going to be happy to make a ton of money. So today became the Jamal Murray game for 
thir- in the third quarter, all of a sudden we had a rock fight on our hands. And then Jamal Murray put up 23 in the fourth. I Jacoby's making a face. I agree with the face. I'm not going to tell my grandkids about the Murray game, but he did have the big fourth quarter as the Lakers cratered in the other direction. It was a 20 to five run in the fourth quarter at some point. It started out though with the Lakers felt like they had control of the game. And Jacoby, you mentioned it. LeBron had a couple of these weird pull-up threes and it kind of shifted the momentum. Denver was doing this thing where they were just riding Murray and Jokic. And it, you know, it just seemed like they were like, we're going to beat these guys in the ground. And it felt like the Lakers could have had them. And it was it was a rare lapse of judgment from LeBron, I got to say. Now, did LeBron take like tired old guy threes that were obvious tired old guys threes? But there was one where he faked a flop from Jokic, fell into the stands, had a vodka tonic like poured on his face, ice cubes and all, had a towel offered to him, sat there for about four and a half minutes just to sort of build a little bit of energy for the next possession. Gets the inbound on the next possession, slowly walks it up, doesn't call a play. No one sets a screen on or off the ball, and he just pulls up and bricks his fourth three in a row. It was just the quintessential, I'm too tired to get to the rim. That looks like work. Maybe I'll make this three. It's a 15% proposal. I'll look good if it goes in, and I'm going to look bad if it doesn't, but at least I won't have to expend my energy. Fellas, this was the altitude game. This is what happens when you can't breathe. Like, it's it's not enough time. They both played over 40 minutes, Anthony Davis and LeBron. And Stephen A., in his infinite uh, observational wisdom, said that he thought that both those guys would have subpar games coming in here. Shouts to Stephen A., because those minutes are, like, maybe not double minutes. Maybe, maybe so for LeBron, maybe like one and a half times. How impactful playing 40-plus minutes at altitude and then coming back with only one day's rest. All of those threes that LeBron shot, those misses, they were close misses, but I think that's what happens in that rarefied air. Although I do want to say one thing. You're not going to be telling your grandkids about Jamal Murray, but we just got done being spending you know several days on our knees in front of uh, Devin Booker I mean, this is Jamal Murray reminding us of the version of him from the bubble. He's shooting like right at 50% from the field, I think. And he was the difference maker in a game that Denver really had to have at home, I would say. Yeah, he was three for 15 at one point in this game and he finished 11 for 24. So he made eight of his last nine shots, including five threes. I'm glad you brought up the altitude thing because I was researching the history of the Denver Nuggets which is pretty grim. It's like they don't kind of get enough credit for not having an awesome history. They've had some fun players. But for the most part, they made the ABA finals in 1976. They lost to Dr. J and the Nets. That's the last time they ever made the finals. They've never made the NBA finals ever. Conference finals, uh, they made it in 75 and 76 in the ABA. And then in the NBA, 1978, 1985, 2009, 2020 in the bubble. And the reason I bring this up we haven't seen them in a situation like this in the playoffs, literally in almost 15 years, where just seeing them play two games in a row in three days at the level that you have to play these conference playoff games, that game one was grueling. It was fast paced. And then two days later, they got to come back. I thought everybody except Reeves, if you're going best guys on both teams, Jacobs, everybody on both teams looked dead. 
by six minutes left in the fourth quarter. It was like, no, like Murray was, I had his hands on his knees leaning over like he was going to keel over. So out of the altitude thing, I, I, I didn't factor that in enough. I don't feel like. Was the altitude, the pace, the minutes, the, the first quarter and the fourth quarter were just like completely different humans, completely different game, completely different sport. It was just like the pace in the fourth quarter, up and down. They're running. Like people are getting to lane, jumping, jumping twice to get a rebound and put it back. In the fourth quarter, it was just like every single – you see the calculations in their head being like, how can I execute this basketball action using the least amount of energy possible? How can I expend the least amount of calories possible to accomplish what I need to for the team to accomplish this goal. And at the end of the day, it really looked like the Lakers, especially LeBron, were more tired than the Nuggets. And I think that does have something to do with the altitude. 42 minutes for Jokic, 43 for Murray, 40 for LeBron, 41 for Davis, who was four for 15, four mm. turnovers. Um, yo, I watch a lot of Nuggets, especially because it's a West Coast team. And the reason I thought that they we're going to make the finals. And once Milwaukee got out that they were the favorite for me was I loved the shots they got. I love the decisions. Basically everything running through Jokic and just all the offense they got. They never kind of, they never have those like funky quarters or anything like that. Everything is just smooth and they're always able to get back in it. They're always able to not have like the other team have the 13 to one run or anything like that. The offense they had in the fourth quarter house was pretty choppy. I mean, Jokic like kind of didn't want to shoot in the last four minutes, I think, because he was just dead. But if Murray hadn't made those shots, there really didn't seem like there was a plan B, right? It was a high degree of difficulty uh, offensive performance by the Nuggets in the fourth quarter. Now, you mentioned having watched this Nuggets team throughout the season, um, and it it did fit kind of what they have done, the way they've won games at home, where they get going, the crowd gets going, there is a comfort level, and they do have that advantage of with the threes. Play, playing at the yeah. altitude. Yeah, and, and, and altitude. I think this was possibly the worst I've seen Jokic, at, yep. definitely at home, in, in I don't know, definitely since the regular season, right? So Those regular season games when they were mailing it in. But, so I um, agree with you, and he had a 23-17-12, and 12, and right. I 100% agree with you. It wasn't good. Yeah, well, for him, it was probably a C-. minus. For other human beings, it was an A. But for him, it was like, I, I thought he was passing up stuff around the paint and really seemed like he was looking for the handoff more. He just honestly seemed tired to me. He had five turnovers, too. He had a couple, couple crunch time turnovers. Porter hit a couple big threes. I think big picture... The thing that worries me if I'm Denver is that the Aaron Gordon piece of this in the play? season, they, they, I know in the season, they really figured out how to use him as like a rim runner, offensive rebounder. Um, you know, teams had to guard him and seem like they respect him. The Lakers have no respect for him at all. He is the, as Jalen would say, the open for a reason guy. He's open by five feet. And I don't know what the Nuggets do with that because they need him on defense. But it doesn't, he's like the guy you're playing pickup with that kind of doesn't know where to go. And I don't know how they fixed that, Jacobs. Well, early on, when they started the game, they ran some uh, Murray Jokic pick and rolls, and AD kind of like really like pressured Murray and switched out. And I was like, ooh, they're kind of leaving Jokic naked. But they weren't because LeBron would just leave AG and sort of, they, and then get Jokic if he used the pocket pass. And I was, I was kind of surprised at just how 
much they disrespected Aaron Gordon as an offensive threat and how little the Nuggets used that to their advantage. And how little I, I he could, and let, how little he took it personally. Yes. And, That's and all the of point. that. And, and you made you made a good point earlier, Bill, um, rare, when uh, you. you said that Jokic uh was pa- passive in the fourth quarter. Like there was one possession he had an open 15 foot shot, which he shoots like, I don't know, 97% from, and he upfaked it and LeBron didn't close out. And then he took it because he had to. And there's a couple times where I'm just so used to him, like backing down and doing a slow turnaround and like an upfake and then getting the shot. But like he did, he just sort of didn't decided that he didn't want to use any of those weapons. It was really confusing. And back to the AG thing, like I think Michael Malone needs to kind of like, make that a point of emphasis at the start of game three to get, get him, him some easy buckets and get him involved. Like, I, I expect that to happen. Probably has to shoot a three, too. I mean, big picture house, this is a pretty devastating loss for the Lakers. I know it's only game two, but they had a 10-point lead in the second half here. Jokic wasn't playing that great. Murray was three for 15. Gordon was lost. Porter wasn't doing much. Like, the Nuggets just weren't playing well. And I, I thought that it hit the point where the Lakers kind of had to steal it. I think it's gonna be really hard for them to win in Denver, as especially as the series goes along with the amount of miles they're gonna need from uh, from LeBron and Davis. And you know, they always have the the random dude. Today it was Rui. Rui had 21, 30 points. Mm. House, you have the floor. You watched this guy for three oh. years. Uh, you took a big <laughs> dump on him after the trade, and he's become the fourth best Laker. Well, this is precisely the point, right? He is a guy who has some skills that is perfectly fine coming off the bench and being the fourth or fifth best player on a team. Now, I would not have have pegged him for this level of impact in the playoffs, but he didn't play very much when he was in Washington, right? He never played. I think the, the most games he played now, there were two seasons interrupted with the COVID situation. But I think the most, like, percentage-wise games he played was near 80%, maybe. He, he never, you know, he sat Never out, stayed on the court. And he stayed yeah. out half of a season. He, the, 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 after the Tokyo Olympics, he didn't come back for training camp. And then the team gave him an excused absence, and he showed up in January of the 21-22 season. Jacoby, House is being diplomatic. He couldn't stand Rui and the Wizards. Yeah, he yeah, could absolutely I know. I've heard it stand before him. from Joe House. I know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, what are you doing? House, just admit that this is incredibly infuriating to you. Who if are you, House? You're never going to see Rui Hachimura at a party yeah, and have to just apologize. Admit it. Just, just admit He's let you down. It's going to be fine, He could have done this. It's going to be, done this be on yourself, the Wizards. House. Be no, the real House. Look, I, I don't want I diplomatic did, House. I didn't draft him. The, 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 the dumbass <laughs> Wizards draft drafted him. him. They shouldn't have drafted him where they drafted him. He was not yeah. a top 10 player. He's a, can I, he's say, a, he's a can I say a really point? Go ahead. You know, I, I noticed this because I went to two of the Warriors games last week in person. I kind of like him. Like, he's big. He's got he's this. Big. Oh, yeah. He can shoot threes. He's just physical. Like, I, it, it's actually hard for me to believe he didn't have more success on House's Garbage Wizards team. But he's one of those guys that, when you're, he's one of those in-person guys where you go, man, why isn't this guy better? 
The you know? uh, can I make a Rui point? One Rui point I love from tonight was when he used he had the halftime interview like with Lisa on the way to the tunnel. He clearly had like never been in that position before. He's like, wait, how's this work? Like I do an interview like like here on the court. Like, like how's this? I'm, I don't know. He like needed help. He was like, oh, so so she's part of the television. So I answer and I talk yeah. to her, and because he's never been pulled aside to have a post or mid game interview on the court before in his entire career until today. Well. We have a more important Laker question than whatever the hell is going on with Rui. That, to me, this gets added to LeBron's legacy that he was able to turn Rui Hachimura into a very solid playoff guy. I think we have a new champion of the American White Guy Championship belt, which oh. Tyler Hero had last. No, 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 I, I, no. Hold on. Austin Reeves and Tyler Hero are both American White Guys. But they are very different points on the spectrum. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're very Listen, different Jacoby, points on the spectrum. Listen, Jacoby, you can do semantics all you want. <laughs> yeah. All I know is Tyler Hero is not playing in the playoffs. Yeah. Austin Reeves is the third best guy in the Lakers. Hit the point today where I'm like, why don't they just run pick and rolls with him and AD and put LeBron it, 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 in the corner? And I think I they think would score every time. I think it's a strategy because they want to keep him. Like, I, I think that, like, if, if we run too oh, much undermining stuff for him? Austin Reeves, yeah, exactly. They're sabotaging Austin Reeves' performance. And did you see the Wichita State Austin Reeves during the broadcast today when he didn't have the floppy hair? I was like, yeah. ooh, that's an extra five points a game right there. You right. Know I mean? Like, 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 like that, that Austin Reeves hair is going to get you a couple more buckets a game. House, here are the candidates for the White Guy Championship belt. American only. The yes, foreigners are yes, out, are ruled yes, out. I got it. Hero is last year's champ and really had the title all season. He averaged like 22 yes. a game. Kevin Herter. Mm, Walker Kessler. It's, it's pretty slim pickings, guys. I think it's yeah. Reeves. If Hero basically he gave up the title, he got hurt. It's not Reeves' well, but, fault. But, Reeves is the only one playing Hero, right now. Hero has Kevin Love there to mentor him and to pull him aside. You know what I mean? And say, listen, like we have right. peaks and we have valleys as American white guys in this league. So I, I feel good about Hero long term. But right now, Reeves is wearing the belt. Love's like, I've had that belt for five years. I know what it means. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know, I, I know, I know the there's weight. a know the real weight. responsibility that comes with it. I've carried that weight before. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so House, your team that never has cap space. And you've just fired your GM. Congratulate! I never officially congratulated you on the podcast. For <laughs> do you have a new GM or no? No, 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 no. We're in the market. We're in the market. <laughs> There's some candidates. Bob Myers, and new football owners. Bob Myers would be great. I would take Bob Myers. Overpay Bob Myers. Well, so He's you don't have cap space, call. but what if you did have cap space? What do you think Reeves is worth? Because the Lakers can only go to like fifty point eight million or something. And somebody else can come in and offer him up to, I think, $98.7 million, which the Lakers could match, but it would really fuck with them in a whole bunch of different ways. But there's all these teams with cap space. Like, for instance, like, like the Spurs. The Spurs have all this cap space, right? They got Wemby coming in, and they have, like, some good swing men. And I'm like, why wouldn't we get Austin Reeves? You know, if you're them. or they, There's a couple teams that have cap space, but I was looking at them. I was looking at the Magic is another team. The Magic has cap space. They have two the, the really Magic, good forwards. Magic have too many white guys already. I like not I, American, not American. <laughs> no, not that's American. not. I, I I like the idea of Reeves with uh with the Spurs. Wemby. Yeah, I think there's a the certain big two. logic to that for sure. He's he's early enough in his career. The thing with him that's uh super apparent and why we, we you know love this performance by him. Incredible IQ. 
an incredible hoops IQ going alongside with LeBron's hoops IQ. His instincts, I mean, what we saw from him working his way to the free throw line, you know, relentlessly at the end of the regular season and into the first, um, the beginning of the playoffs, you can't teach that. That, that's that's he's got that dog in him. That's what I'm going to say about that, Jacobs. There's there's some Jeff Hornacek in there. He's about yes. two inches taller. I mean, he looks like him. Hornacek was an awesome player. I mean, he him and KJ made the conference finals. He was the centerpiece of a Charles Barkley trade the year Charles Barkley goes to Phoenix and wins the MVP. There's a piece of that in Gordon Hayward. I know I'm I'm sticking to the white guy comparison thing. I don't mean to do no. that, but. Oh, the Hornacek, yeah. totally he really reminds me of Hornacek, though. He even has, like, that bad hair, hair, dude, that Hornacek used to have. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is the hair. That's right. And, he's got, like, he's got he, four inches on Hornacek, and, and he does a lot more things. But he's got that crafty, like, gets into the paint, bounces off dudes. The Lakers are going to keep him. They have to. You can't have LeBron have and Davis and not keep Reeves. But I think he's become, like, a $20 million a year guy. And, and a guy that I think, as the series goes along, they're going to have to use him against Denver's guards. I think he's actually the key to the series for them. I um, noticed I noticed when he was out of the game. And when I was looking I was looking at the floor and I was like, "Oh, they have to they have to spell Austin Reeves for 3 minutes." Like that's where we are with the Austin Reeves experience right now. And that's it, it's just a it's it's it, it's a good sort of example of where the Lakers are when you have LeBron and AD and a bunch of dudes and you're looking for one to flash up like Rui Hachimura. Let's uh let's take a break. I have a couple more Laker Nuggets thing, and then we got to talk about uh the Celtics collapse in Game One. Right now, all FanDuel customers get a no sweat same game parlay every weekend when you bet the NBA playoffs. That's right, just place a three plus leg same game parlay, or same game parlay plus on any NBA playoff game. You'll get bonus bets back if you don't win. I am going to announce on my Twitter feed we're going to do something for Game Three of the Lakers Nuggets series. Now that the Nuggets are up 2 nothing. There might actually be some Denver value, so we'll talk about that. I'll put the tweet up. Maybe FanDuel will even boost it for us. Let's see. Let's see if they do it. FanDuel has great promotions every day on a safe and secure app that pays you instantly when you win. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash BS, get a no-sweat same-game parlay every weekend of the NBA playoffs. That is FanDuel.com slash BS. FanDuel the official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager, only $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-metrable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 Arizona. 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 809 with it in Indiana. 800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 800-327-5050 or visit mahelpline.org slash problem gambling in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, 800-522-4700 Wyoming or 1800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. 
you know, I'll mess around with some other ones. But for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra. Not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLobeUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. House, let's say the Lakers lose this series to the Nuggets. Year 20 for LeBron. Is this the closest he's ever going to get? Or is the next phase going to be him hopping on a better team as like the wily veteran ring chasing? I think his best opportunity will be with with this team. If they run a version of this team back, maybe there's another piece or two that they can add. But, I mean, this team is is awfully close. Like, the difference tonight was him and AD. And, you know, yeah. uh, Davis shot four for 15, and LeBron was nine for 19, which isn't horrendous, but it, he was 0 for 6 from three, and that's what, what r- really killed him. But That's I been mean, all season. Yeah. Yeah, what, taking open threes? Teams inviting no, they, him to take like threes? Th- yeah, his three-point shooting, it, it just hasn't been, you know, what it used to be. I think this is his best chance, just the way that the league, the conference was so weird this year. Um, you look at both sides, like the Lakers playing to make the finals, they're playing in teams, same for the Heat. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's a weird year, and I it's, sometimes you just have your moment, and if you don't grab it, that's it. I think they're going to have trouble keeping some of these free agents because they have some minimum guys that they grab that I think could probably could probably uh could jump around. Jacobs, what do you think? Is this is this LeBron's last best chance? I disagree just because you have to remember before they brought in House's favorite player Rui Hachimura like what that team was. You know what I mean? Don't forget like what this team was in like November December. Like it was disgusting. And it wasn't just health either. It was the roster. It was gross. They were in, they were 12th in the West. And, you know, some good moves at the deadline and before the deadline. And now here they are semi-competing to go to the NBA Finals. So I would never put it past LeBron to be able to make the championship lemonade out of the lemons that he's given, whether that's with the Lakers or without. Because Mm. there's another two or three more years. So I just, I would just never put it past LeBron to take a lower salary and go somewhere else or to add the right pieces to this team and maybe get some injury luck and make another run. I don't think this is his last run because if you look at his like production and numbers and you add some low management, I think he's got a Tom Brady-esque like three more years in him. Wow, three more years. House, yeah. let's, say they, let's say they lose in five to Denver and Embiid asks for a trade. And Embiid Davis as the principals. They're about the same age. Ooh. <laughs> just, I'm You're just so asking. This, Bill. You're who, so good at this. Who <laughs> has a so longer meeting about the trade? Does Philly say that's not enough for Embiid? Do the Lakers say, no, why do we why would we want Embiid in here? Davis fits in better. How does this play out? You already know the answer. It's so good though. I do. I mean, Jacoby's right. You you really are. There's a reason you're the podfather. Thank you. Um, I agree with Mike Lombardi. Joel Embiid is a loser, and LeBron knows that he's a loser. So why would he want a loser to come from the East Coast? Like, you know, he can't even get the MVP of the league, can't get his team to the 
to the conference finals, why would he trade? <laughs> Anthony Davis has a ring. He won a ring with LeBron. I don't, I don't think LeBron would tolerate that, Bill Simmons. So you think the Lakers would say no to that trade? Yes, I do. That's what, what do you I think, think. Jacobs? Oh God, I, I, I it's a great one, right? Trade. It, it, it's, it's really good. And it, it's, by the way, it's I put that totally... in the oven. I put it. I preheated the oven it, to three fifty. Yes, and I cooked it cooks. all day like it no, was. No, you did not like cook it was that like at three fifty. Sweet potato souffle. Two fifty. You cooked that at two fifty. And you cooked. left it in for low. nine hours. You you cooked dinner during breakfast, like you were having <laughs> eggs while you were making dinner, and it came out Just really nicely. Beautiful smells. I'm like, oh, that trade's starting to smell really good. But what do you if like? I'm what do you the, like about it? If, I, I like it because it's completely implausible and will never happen, but it's worth discussing. And if I'm the Lakers, I make that trade. I make the trade just just for availability reasons. I can't believe I'm taking Joel Embiid's availability over Anthony Davis's, but I think I have right to do so over the last couple seasons. And it, it just you can Joel Embiid can do things that obviously Anthony Davis cannot. It's, it's well, and LeBron a better basketball after player. turning like, Rui Hachimura's career around, Embiid is the logical next target. Well, it, it, at least LeBron would be used to disappearing acts because if, if we say that Davis is every other Davis, Joel Embiid, you know, missed the second half of both game six and game seven. So at least LeBron is used to that. Yeah, that's a tough, that Philly situation. I So they basically, the word that's going around is that on Monday, they basically said they were going to keep their coach. And then something happened on the Harden front. And by Tuesday, all of a sudden, they're getting rid of the coach. It feels like they're picking Harden basically over, like, the the prioritizing keeping Harden over all other scenarios, which I think is insane. I, I think Daryl's going to, this is like his Achilles heel, this Harden no. infatuation. I, it really is. No, I, that can't. Listen, I agree with I, you, anyone who watched that. Anyone who watched that series is like, oh, I see what the answer is. Fire Doc, one. Don't keep hearted too, right? Like, but I think Embiid I wanted them to, that series. But I think Embiid, I don't think Embiid wanted them to fire fire Doc though. We see you saw Daryl said that Embiid was shocked, right? That was the word that he used. Embiid was shocked, and when I saw that, I was like, I don't believe that for a second. That is not a hundred percent. Oh, you think he was I protecting not, Embiid? Yes, I do not believe that Joel Embiid was shocked to find out that his head coach was fired. I don't think he found out on Twitter. I think you know what I mean. I think he was. I think he was counseled, and I think that that Daryl is doing a, a solid for his best player in MVP. Oh, interesting. Okay. I also don't, you don't think you don't one, think so. There, there's there's no way that that franchise made a decision is made. You know, their 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 uh, next year planning and the year after planning based on uh, keeping James Harden. That, that there's no chance that that's the case. I think there's a very good chance, and I think they're really worried about losing him. And I think that was one of the reasons they did the coach thing when they did. And who they hire as the next coach will be another indication. Because if they hire Dan Tony, no, they can't. They're basically, I, you can't say can't because I think it's in play. And if they do that, Harden will be like, oh, that sounds great. I'll have the ball all the time and I won't have to play defense. Maybe I'll come well, did back. You see, you see Harden's quote where he wants to play, you know, where he can compete and we can have his basketball freedom. Did you see that quote? It was like, I want to be able to play freely and have my basketball freedom. That translates to Mike D'Antoni, come back and let me do whatever the F I want. Because that's exactly He's, what Mike D'Antoni did He last had the time. freedom to just be completely terrified in the seventh game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yes. that was He looked pretty free he as he was doing that. He, he I, exercised that right. I want to start a new podcast called I've Had It, 
and each episode is just about an athlete where I'm like, I'm completely out. I've had it. I'm out. <laughs> like, it's like, today's episode is James Harden. I don't, I'm not even talking about him anymore. I'm out. I've had it. And then the next episode's like Kyrie Irving. Then the next one's Matt Ryan. 45 seconds. It's like, oh, Matt Ryan might come back and play football this year. I'm out. I don't want to hear it. I've had it. <laughs> just keep going. Uh, let's talk about. <laughs> this is a great podcast. Thank you. Let's talk about my stupid team. So we gave up 46 points in the third quarter. And uh, my dad calls him second row Joe because last year he was in the second row. He wasn't even on the bench. It's a great name. Second that's row so Joe wasn't calling timeouts. Oh, no, that's that's going to catch on. Shout out to Dr. Yeah, I, I feel bad bringing it up. But, uh, and, and you know, it was just, it was the nightmare. I can't say any of it surprised me. The Celtics house, you were on text threads with me with Raheem and JJ. And I was saying, I can't believe the Heat are getting eight and a half points. I don't understand this. I don't feel like the Celtics have a home court advantage. The game's starting at 8.40 Eastern time. The crowd is always fucking weird for those games. Um, and the one thing I noticed, and I don't know if the Heat did this intentionally or not, but they create like this chaos in the first half, right? It's just chaos. It's got, they push the pace, they're taking crazy threes, and the game kind of just loses the steering wheel. And then in the second half, they calm down, but the other team's discombobulated. And I could feel it happening as they were doing it. I was like, no, no, we're going to know that they're doing this. And then, of course, the second half happens. Tatum is just out to lunch over by the side, um, not getting the ball. Jalen Brown has the ball all the time, and Butler's doing Butler stuff. And I, I can't, House, were you 1% surprised by any of it? Not only did I grab all of the points that were available, I bet Miami on the money line last night. Wow. I mean, th this is this is what they've shown us in, in, in these playoffs. They go into other people's gyms and win game one. At, it was like plus 325 or something crazy like that. It's like, I've yeah. seen this a couple times now with teams that I think are, you know, comparable enough to the Celtics. And the thing, you know, dream... Raheem Palmer's done the research about teams coming off of a game seven and into game one and the straight up and against the spread percentages are crazy against the teams coming in with in that kind of situation. What what made anybody think that the Celtics team would would handle their business and, and you know, close out 13 point lead? Miami says we got you right where we want you. And that's when Jimmy Butler gets cooking. And that's what they did. Well, especially you go against the Sixers who rolled over and you go to this really tough team that's doing all the little stuff. Jacobs, where do you stand on uh, on the whole Jimmy Butler phenomenon? He's Rosilla did a whole thing in his pod today about how Jimmy Butler has the highest approval rating right now. I uh, It's either him or Jokic I would have in the finals for that, but you've, you've loved Jimmy Butler forever. I've loved Jimmy Butler forever, but mainly because he's like such a dick. And I think that he's kind of like the coolest kid in high school that you're a little bit scared of. You know what I mean? He's like the coolest kid in your class, but like you're kind of cool, but like you don't really mess with Jimmy Butler. Like he's kind of like a bully, but doesn't carry himself like that. He's just got this mystique about him. And like if you ask any and I don't, but if you ask anybody playing in the NBA, be like, what do you think about Jimmy Butler? No one's going to be like, yeah, but like he has the approval rating is through the roof. And I think yeah. a lot of it has to do with his history. We all know what happened at his various stops. And in Miami, I think a lot of their success is one of the reasons that I, like House, shout to you, bet the money line on the heat is 
something happens between the second quarter and the third quarter. I don't know if you're familiar with this, Bill. I don't know how many of these games you've watched. Halftime adjustments. You leave, you leave the court, and then you go into the locker room, and the coaches get together, and they <laughs> strategize. That would be Joe Mazzula and his friends. And then Eric Spolstra gets together with his friends, and they strategize. And guess what happens in the third quarter? Like, that's kind of what I was banking on. It's like, I know Jimmy Butler's going to be Jimmy Butler, but I also know that Missoula's going to be Missoula and Spolstra's going to be Spolstra. And, and that is honestly why I think that the Celtics are in real trouble. Like, as a Celtics diehard, they're, they are the more talented team. They have better basketball players. And I would say the same thing for the Knicks. Like, how, what is your concern level right now after game one? I'm not that concerned yet. I still think they have more talent. And I always thought this series was going to be a long series. I was saying yesterday, I thought the Celtics were either going to sweep or lose game one, which sounds insane, but House was on the text. I, I felt like there was a world where the Heat just, once we saw them against a really talented team, like, oh, they don't have enough. It's just like Butler and Bam and that's it. Or it would be what happened last night. And um, the Butler piece of it, he just had so much confidence against the Celts. It's like very big, big brother, little brothery. Um, the Tatum thing was disappointing. I was in the car today and uh, our old friend Coward, who you worked with once upon a time, Jacoby, he was Love doing Coward. this whole like big picture Tatum versus Butler thing and so, Butler so comes through and Tatum doesn't. And I'm like, I, I'm not ready to go. Tatum's 25. Like the dude's been work in progress. He's come through a couple times in big stages on big games. I think there's a consistency you know, kind of step on the neck quality that maybe he doesn't have yet. But for the most part, I'm pretty happy. Coward was comparing him to Josh Allen. And he was saying, oh, we do the same thing with Josh Ooh. Allen. Josh Allen is regular season star, but in the playoffs, what am I getting? And I'm like, I don't know. Josh Allen, like, led the led them down the field. They scored and all they had to do was stop the Chiefs for 13 seconds. And they beat the Chiefs in a playoff game. Like, Josh Allen's pretty good. So I, I, I feel like, Early in the in any playoff series, when there's only a couple series left, and everybody has to do these big grandiose, what does this mean? I don't know. I could see Tatum having like 45 tomorrow night. The thing that worries me more is the coaching. Like Pritchard's out there. I was like, all right, that's fun. We played a three guard lineup. I, I'm not mad that they did that, but Miami was like, oh cool, you got Pritchard out there. Let's try to get him in a switch against Butler. And after the first half, I I was thinking, we'll never see Pritchard again now. <laughs> like that, like. They they can't ever do that again. Like that was Possible. a fun, that was fun. That was like fucking, you know, dropping Alka-Seltzer in the bathtub and seeing what happens, but you're not doing it a second time. And then they do it again for like six minutes. And Miami's like, cool. <laughs> awesome. Peyton Pritchard's out here. Thank you. Uh, so it's stuff like that. that I'm like, man, that when you get to this level, it really comes down to you either have to have the best guy on the court and it's not close or you have to have some sort of collective hoops IQ thing that I don't house. You, you've been calling them the Charmin Celtics all year. I don't, I don't know if they have that last piece. I I'm ready to kind of move off of that. It It is a, they, they are soft, but it's, it's, uh, it's the difference between Ime and, and, and Joe mass, like, you know, second row Joe. And I, I think it's just uh, ready for the job thing. Now, the more that we spend time with these Celtics, it isn't that they are physically soft, although in the regular season, a couple of those games that they yeah, gave they up, were. they were. But, you know, they're, they're just missing an institutional 
backbone. There is some element in terms of the the decision making. The best lineup for the Celtics last night was with Brogdon. You can't play the two bigs against Miami. Joe Maz trotted him out there. It became apparent that you can't play the two bigs against Miami. They were probably out there too a little bit too long, but the best lineup was was with Brogdon. So let's give him the opportunity in game two to to you know make that uh, adjustment. And the other thing is with Miami, you're always at the risk of their shooting variance, right? They come in and shoot the lights out. You're probably going to mm-hmm. lose. You know, if they make all those threes, it's not That's something the they did in the regular season. And they've 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 collectively gotten better in the in the postseason as a shooting team, which is pretty rare. But you know, all those guys. This is why Jimmy Butler, as a throwback tough guy, what he means to Vincent and Struess, um, and 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 you know Kyle Lowry's role can't be understated. The contribution to this thing. So you know they're they're built for it, but when they miss, they lose. So I talked to my dad for a while this morning because he was at the game. Uh, one of the highlights was he called Bam Adebayo Adebiko, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> he said he said Adebiko had a pretty good game. Um, then a, he said they, then he they said, played seven game series last year. He and said it, he liked when the bald white guy was out there for Miami. He thought <laughs> he thought that he was unplayable. That was fun, but um. But we were talking about the big lineup because I don't know if you remember this. It was only a month ago. It feels like a hundred months ago. But the Hawks killed the Heat in that playing game, right? And they had they kind of overpowered them with size, right? They had sixty three rebounds in that game. They had Capella had twenty one rebounds, um, and they just kind of they didn't even shoot that well. They shot ten for forty one from three, and they won by eleven. It was they won because they overpowered the Heat. There was a version of this series in my head where I was like, Jacobs, they're just going to, they have too much size, they're going to overpower them. But Grant Williams was a part of that. And I don't know if they've just given up on Grant or what, but um, my guess is if they're going to try to come back in this series, it's defense and rebounding and maybe not the gimmicky three-guard lineups. Oh, um, If you don't know they've given up on Grant, I'm pretty sure they've given up on Grant. I mean, if, if if you thought there was too much Peyton Pritchard, there's there's I I don't expect to see too much Grant, but you know I think one of the the knocks on the Heat are besides from the fact that they have like nine undrafted people and their talent isn't you know exactly matching up to anyone any of their opponents through all three rounds thus far, is there's Bam, and what other bigs do they really have? I mean, Kevin Love can rebound, but he's Nothing. he's not rim protecting at all. Like they just don't have a second big to spell Bam. It just doesn't. No, they're rim happen. protecting as Kyle Lowry pretending. Pretending he's going to take a charge and psyching guys out. It's his ESP charge routine. That's their rim protection. Can I can I talk about Kyle Lowry for a second, Bill? Yeah, do your Kyle Lowry thing. I find him to be the most infuriating person to root against. Like, if, if you're rooting against Kyle Lowry, this is not a knock on him. I just hate watching him play basketball against a team I want to win because he 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 plays the refs. He falls over. If you're a big and you've got Kyle Lowry on you, you're going to turn around and dunk. He'll slap the ball off the bit out of the big's hands before he gets him above his waist, and it'll bounce off the big's ankle and go out of bounds. Then he gets it. And if there's if, if the other team goes on a six zero run, somehow some way Kyle Lowry will either get fouled by flopping or hit a three. He's just absolutely infuriating to root against, and I I, I dislike him respectfully. 
you basketball hate him. I basketball hate him, but I but I like deep down you can't hate someone unless you love them. You know, you don't hate strangers. You hate the people that you really know. And I hate Kyle Lowry because I also love him. This is a good game where if somebody makes a shot, it just makes you mad that they made the shot, not that the other team scored. It's just you're personally yeah. offended that that he made a couple moon shots yesterday and was like, oh, fuck you. It was like a couple of, <laughs> he was just screaming at the TV. <laughs> fuck this guy. Uh, yeah, he is annoying. Also, it seemed like his career was over four months ago, House. I'm it sure he was available on the, de- on the like deadline months. for a yeah, song. It's like the 10th time we thought his career is over. His career was over 10 years ago. Then he reinvented himself. It's an amazing career, Kyle Lowry. Potential Hall of Famer, Kyle Lowry. Can can we bring in Conspiracy Bill for a second? Oh. Oh, I'd love I'd love we, to talk to Conspiracy Bill. Did you send him the too. Zoom link? I sent him the Zoom link. Um, later, Patriotic Bill is going to join the podcast with Derek Thompson. So that was really fun, oh, too. Get, Patriotic get God. It doesn't get as enough press. Get those making votes. Get those making votes. Conspiracy Bill. Um, the uh, Conspiracy yeah. Bill wonders, you know, in hockey, because Gary Bettman's a moron, you end up with like Florida, Carolina, right? You 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 don't have Connor McDavid make the third round of the NHL playoffs, and you don't have the Bruins going for like the greatest regular season ever because, you know, they just kind of let the players decide the games. Basketball, we have some tricks. We have some mm. ways to not to rig the series, but maybe massage them in certain directions. House conspiracy bill wonders if. Miami Denver is really where the league wants to land here for finals <laughs> with some of the other alternatives. Like this some is, of the it, other alternatives? It's easily the worst case scenario, right? They could play up Jim, the Jimmy Butler story. Cool. They play up Jokic. Oh, check out this guy. Uh, but for the most part, I, you know, I would think they would want either the Lakers or the Celtics in here. So is conspiracy bill... See, right to be a little suspicious that these results that we're heading toward don't seem like they add up. Oh, I think we're headed in in in, in the direction that that uh, the league probably w- would prefer. We'll know for sure when we see Game Three in Los Angeles, and I bet uh, tomorrow night the, the the Friday night game with the Celtics and the Heat. I I have a sneaking suspicion we'll end up one one. Feels like we will, a good chance we'll end up one one in that series. Celtics Denver would be a, a nice sexy series, Jacobs. I always like to use sexy on a oh, sports man. podcast. I know it's oh, one of your favorite I mean, words. Obviously, you know the sexiest would be the championship of championships to see who can get to 18 first, Lakers Celtics. It's still on the Wait, board. you're ca- you're you're still counting the five Minnesota ones? Yes, I am. Those are championships. 17 17 that happened so in Minnesota. Championships to see who would have the most championships. Oh, you're still counting the ones in the Boston Garden, not the TD Garden? Like, what are we doing? Who cares? It's, it's the, they're literally they're the exact same place. They're what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like 10 yards over. But how I would do you, say, Hey, how do you think OKC is going to celebrate the 45th anniversary of the Seattle 1979 <laughs> NBA title? <laughs> you think they're going to have a party? <laughs> when they were going to break with what? retired Nuggets on the, on the broadcast, I was like, oh, this is, this is kind of a bleak history for this franchise. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, the the Nuggets like who do they even have courtside house? The the I, like they didn't even cut like when they had the Knicks. It was like, hey, there's Bernard King, oh, Latrell Sprewell, Patrick Ewing, 
the Nuggets, like they got to get Kiki Vandeweghe and Alex English. I need to see David Thompson. Um, Carmelo, they, could he straddle the fence and pretend he was an ex-Nick and an ex-Nugget? We, in the we same can't playoffs? have this conversation. The Washington Wizards celebrated that this was the 25th year of them becoming the Wizards. They brought back <laughs> what? Antoine Jameson. They celebrated and that? Butler and, and they brought back Antoine Jameson and Karab Butler and Gilbert Arenas to do no. a, a big three. Yes, they came out three on the court. They, they had, they, they, they did the court in Wizards, uh, you know, the old school Wizards uh, colors and stuff. Yes. So that's fine. You can try it out all you want with the Denver stuff. The Wizards celebrated Karam Butler and Antoine Jameson and Gilbert Arenas, who couldn't beat LeBron James in the second round and it celebrated the 25th year uh, anniversary of becoming the the worst uh, mascot in all of professional sports. And then they brought out Ernie Grunfeld and he took a $12 roast beef sandwich and paid $28 for it. <laughs> in, in honor of the Andre Blatch contract. The, threw it away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> House, who's your GM going to be? Did you, you want to throw your hat in the ring? Bob Myers. That's the answer. Can we get Bob? Can he be like DC now he's... Now he's like moving in the DC power circles. Yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff here in Washington. You know, it, I think the Bay Area. I wouldn't Area, take that job. Yeah, I don't. That's know. not a great job. I don't. I don't like it. Uh, Jacoby, we never got your Matt Ishbia thoughts. Pro con, still figuring it out. What it, what's going on 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 that front? Well, a couple things. Number one, um, I think Isaiah Thomas wasn't discussed enough during that incident. Like Isaiah Thomas was right there. Isaiah Thomas, one of the best basketball players of all time, was involved in in like a a, a very discussed basketball incident that yeah. involved etiquette and fan quote unquote owner interaction with players and mid game experiences. And he was just stuck underneath Jokic's armpit the entire time, you know. And I feel like Jokic probably has a couple more of those like tricep scratches because of Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, and um. I also think that maybe Isaiah Thomas was um, counseled when it came to the firing of uh, Monty Williams. And, um, you know, mm. I, I think that Isaiah Thomas mm. holds a little, a little sway, a little influence mm. over our friend Matt Ishbia. And every time I look at him, I'm like, he really did play for Michigan State. <laughs> he was the scrappy walk-on guy. Well, we'll know yeah. how much Isaiah influence there is if Eddie Curry gets hired as the next Suns head coach. So I'm, I'm watching that. <laughs> Very carefully. <laughs> Nate Robinson is the assistant coach. Eddie Curry, the coaching staffs, Eddie Curry, Zebo, Nate Robinson, Ronaldo Blackman. Jerome James. Don't forget Moskoff. Jerome. <laughs> Incredible run. What an advisor. I like Isaiah, but they, come on. Uh, but I do think, I do think that that stuff's going on with that team. I think they're going to get a little splashed. I don't think it's a Bob Myers destination. That was one of the rumors, but um I'll be interested to see where Bob Myers goes because it does seem like he's leaving. Yes. And then I don't know if you followed all the Warriors quotes where basically everybody and now that the season's over is like, yeah, the Draymond punching pool thing was a big deal. Oh. We kind of fucked up our oh, season. Yeah. Multi Even Draymond was like, yeah, I kind of fucked up our season. <laughs> he um, literally said it himself of all Steve people. Kerr I'm said it. He had a press conference. He said it three times. So I wonder uh, I wonder how that plays out. Jacoby, what are your Wembenyama thoughts before we go? Um, okay. I have He's one seven thought. foot five. He hits threes. 
and oh, he was I mean, called I mean, the best listen, prospect in NBA history on the lottery telecast, which I, I I'll give you I took I'll give you a, a, a couple two brief thoughts. One, um, I was a, a PA on the two thousand and one SB Awards, and my job was to cut the nomination packages for the uh, breakthrough athletes. And one of which was LeBron James. So I had to go to Bristol and watch every single play of televised LeBron basketball. And I'd seen highlights, but I remember exactly where I was watching these games. And I was fucking flabbergasted. I was it's, it wasn't the athleticism or the scoring or the dunking or the shooting. It was the passing. And every pass was no look. Every pass was in the perfect spot. It was the, the feel for the game was unlike anything I've ever seen. And I remember that moment feeling like, holy shit, I think I'm looking at the best prospect I've ever seen in my life. And at that point, there weren't that many. And I will, I do not, what I've seen from Wembenyama, I haven't had the same intimate like footage experience, has not matched what I've seen from LeBron James. Fair. So I would not agree that he's the best prospect of all time. He is great. He's going to be great. I get that. We've all heard that. We've all seen it. Here's my sneaky loser of the draft. I believe when that card was flipped over and it was the Spurs who would then get Victor Wembanyama, this franchise altering for decades, literally decades will alter the franchise for the Spurs was a rejoiceful moment. You saw the executive like lost his mind. I feel like there's a part of Greg Popovich that had a big glass of wine. that was like, Oh fuck. Oh shit. I have to work for like another four years. You know what I mean? Like, I can't I really leave now. Like he was the loser. I feel like he was the biggest loser of the draft. He was just like, God damn it. I thought I was going to do this for like one more year and just ride off in the sunset and enjoy the rest of my life. But now I feel obligated to shepherd this man's career. Right. This prodigy has dropped in my lap. And he's probably has people in his life who are like, hey, man, Joe Biden's like 80 and he's running the country. <laughs> like you can stay like six more years. Yes. You just win one more well, title with Wimby. There were also people in his life. They're like, man, I can't wait till we get Greg back in the golf foursome. And, you know, we're going to we're gonna have so much time with Greg. Like his wife was like, yeah, we'll get a second home in Boca. Like this is going to be awesome. Like he literally just extended his career at least two years beyond what he wanted it to be. I really feel like he was 70 percent happy and 30 percent like, oh, shit. This means he a had lot his, more work for me. He had his vacation planned of going to all the World War II battle sites over the course of nine months. Yeah. <laughs> um, House, I you take this stuff as personally as I do. When they start saying he is the best prospect in the history of the league and maybe even the best sports prospect ever, I just have to pour some settle down juice for everybody. I, I just don't know how you can put him against some of the other people we've seen, like some Lou of the prodigies. Well, right. if you're going to say best sports prospect ever, like Tiger Woods, Tiger, pull your fucking schlong out and hit these people in the face because <laughs> there couldn't have been ever a better prospect than Tiger Woods in any sport. Tiger Woods on the Mike Douglas show when he was four, you know, making 20 foot putts. He was winning think of every, every team tournament ever. He won three straight amateurs. He, he was the all-time short thing that ever came in and then immediately fucking kicked everyone's ass for eight years. How is he not the best sports prospect? It's an absurd thing. Uh, I was, of course, outraged. I was especially... Well, I don't want to go down this path because you can't no, go, go the wrong No, go take a side. shot at Woj because I'll jump. I will, go down I'll you know go. Go. I will ride fucking shotgun on that. That was bullshit. <laughs> yeah, what a fucking bullshit. crazy thing to say. 
Oh, uh, I'm a, let me back up my guy. Whoa. I talked to two executives on what on what basis? It's it's absurd. It's a preposterous it's a show. thing to say. He's well, that's right. A show. So it's he should a say stupid show. Shit. He definitely well, that, should that's say, the whole point of that ESPN show. That's these what days. it is. Say stupid shit and get it cut out on a video. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Like, that's it's a, a TV show. 10 out of 10. Then because yeah, that was the dumbest fucking thing of the week for sure. He, the thing is, he's seven foot five and tall guys get injured more often than somebody like LeBron. One of the things LeBron was such a short thing. He was like just athletically everything. He was such a safe bet. Right. Whereas like a seven foot five guy, I don't know. We've seen Sam, somebody like Ralph Sampson came in the league. He looked great. And one thing happens and then all of a sudden the trajectory gets messed up. I don't know. I mean, I, look, yeah, I, I just hate the being side, in this in the position of like, having to indirectly take shots at Wemby, who doesn't deserve it. He's incredible. We're not right? taking shots. He's I know. Inc- he's the best prospect in 20 years, but that's yeah. that's fine. That's all we have yeah. to say. The that's thing, all. The, the, the thing with Wemby, when I saw him rebound the three and dunk it, which I've never seen anyone even try to do before. Have you ever seen that, Jacoby? Uh, there's a Dominique Wilkins clip where it's it's a 17 footer where he misses it and dunks it. I was at it's the, the game. only one I've ever seen. Yeah, it was yeah, at the foul the only line, one I've ever seen like that. from 17 feet. But they didn't um, shoot threes back then, though. Like, maybe he could have done it if they did shoot from there. Yeah. Woj said he he there are executives who think he will be the best player in the league by his third year. This is not true. I, I, that's like, not, that's no. just like I'm, fucking that's, that's Come on, It's so dumb. That's not true. That's not true. It's a TV I, show. Jacoby just who, said yes, it. It's a TV show. I understand show. The, the machinations with the, the producers in the control room when he says that are fist pumping the air like Polly D at the shore in the middle of July. It's just it's just the way television works. You say crazy things. People talk about it. It's just kind of how it works. He's not the best prospect in basketball. Lou Alcindor won for like all the the all the ends the the NYC championships went to UCLA won all the college championships it was an right. unstoppable force they didn't change the rules for him like he's probably the best prospect in the history of basketball I'm going with Lou Alcindor here yeah by the way if if we have LeBron and Lou Alcindor who became Kareem and you say Wemby is on the level of those guys for what the buzz is about him from scouts things. I'll accept that. Not on the level. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm saying put underneath anyone them. over LeBron I'm and Kareem. Underneath them. Yeah, I'm LeBron, saying underneath them. I remember House and I that first year on League Pass, where it was we were kind of tired of the LeBron hype. And I remember I think I wrote an ESPN magazine piece about it probably halfway through the year because we were watching him going, God damn, this guy's good. Like, holy shit, this guy's good. Right away, like when you think like Kobe came into the league out of high school and what that take, it took him like a year and a half to even start to resemble Kobe and KG, all these people that came in and LeBron like kind of immediately made sense as a, as an impactful basketball player. I just find it hard to believe when Benyama is going to be better than that. Um, We'll see, I guess, but it's, it's such a fun kind of uh kind of wrinkle to have this guy come into this league when we have already so many great stars, you know, now we have the Spurs team that none of us thought about last year. Now you add this guy, we're not losing. It's like the, the, if like all the superstars are like a nightclub, we're not losing anyone from the nightclub, but we're adding this guy Mm. and scoop might be really good too. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I was trying to think if I had been on the set, 
how I would have responded to that. But I, I think I would have had to have been like, I, you that's pushed the back. craziest yeah. thing I, I've yeah. ever heard. You wrote the book of basketball, Bill. I know you. I've seen you do television. You would have pushed back immediately and it would have made a good show. And I would have been in the control room fist pumping again. <laughs> I saw LeBron. Now we got a debate. Now <laughs> they, the ratings are going up. LeBron was such a good it. prospect that we showed his games on ESPN, which was completely unheard of. They Never in a yes. million years were they ever going to show high school games on cable. And that's how good he, and then it's been borne out. He's still fucking playing 20 years later. Uh, any last words before we go house? Any, anything else sticking in your craw? Uh, I will say I was super excited that the Washington football franchise seems like it might have a new owner, but the events oh, congrats. of the past, yeah, well, except for the events of the past week, don't exactly haven't been engendering confidence. I haven't been getting the way this now, now I have to get up close and personal with how, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers have been run the past 15 years, and it's not giving me a sports boner. Let me just leave it at that. But at least it's you got rid of Snyder. I, oh, well, great. That's a that's a quarter chub, but <laughs> I want a winner. I want a winner. I want a winner. I want my football team to be a winner. And I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I don't like what happened this past week in Philadelphia. I'll just leave it at that. Jacoby, you want to give us the succession siblings as the four remaining NBA teams before we go? There are yes, there are four remaining NBA teams vying for the top spot. There are four remaining Roy siblings vying for the top spot, and I've matched them. And I will go through this. And I would like you guys to just very briefly just let, let me know how I've done. Uh, I'm I'm open to constructive criticism, and I'm also very sensitive. Keep that in mind. Um, I have the Celtics. They make the most sense. They're consistent, somewhat liberal. And they're reliable and a little insane. They're Shiv. I'm going with Shiv for the Celtics. Okay. I'm going with the Lakers. Pedigree, experience, brand name, forward-facing. They're the star. That's Kendall Roy. Okay. I'm going with the Heat. The most likable. Connor Roy. Don't really have a and chance to run things, but you like having it's, them They're around. not going to win. We kind of know they're not going to win, but we love them. It's Connor. Like, Connor's not going to end up running the company, but we kind of, like, love him and we love to see him. That's how I High feel about Jimmy rating. Butler in the heat. High, exactly. Exactly. And I have the Nuggets. They're strong. Um, they're, they're, they stick to their convictions. Uh, they're powerful. And the number one reason I have the Nuggets as uh, Rome Roy is because Jamal Murray, like Roman, has publicly shared video and pictures of his genitalia. <laughs> so, I mean, that's obviously obviously the nuggets from Roman. I feel strongly about that one. I will not be walked off that, but the other ones I'm open for criticism. Uh, I like that. That's that's solid. I like that Miami Heat is Connor Roy. Yeah, they're not going to win, but we love them. They, they're they they're at 1% in Kentucky right now, feeling good. It, it, booming in Alaska. But they, they had, be, Bill knows I had a hard time with this because I despise these kids. I think that the show was ruined when they killed uh, Logan, and I have a hard time, you know, uh, participating in the March of the Dipshits. The, the only one that I'll quibble with, um, Kendall Roy is the ultimate self-saboteur. Like, I can't say anything nice about any of these kids. The attributes that you tried it out were wonderful. Jacoby is a, such a glass half full way of going about it. But to me, Kendall Roy is the bedshitting addict who raps at his father's 
birthday party and, mm. you know, has the chance at, at doing great things, but then self-sabotages so the Celtics, at, at every so the turn. Celtics. Of course. So the Celtics. Of okay, course. Yeah, good point. Yes. Good point. You knew where good I was point. going. <laughs> Just for everyone listening to this, Bill is like, sad he's straight faced he's not smiling <laughs> he's not frowning he's just kind of like flat faced because he realizes that his team which is down one game to the heat in the eastern conference finals is the kendall roy of the playoffs see i would have gone roman roy for the celtics because Put the genitalia part though come on <laughs> Well, the genitalia part, uh, yeah, you, you did trump me on that. But come on, how do you think you got the how do you think you got the nickname Furry Murray or Jamal Furry? Sorry. <laughs> well, because the Roman Roy part, like Jerry was eBay Adoka, I could have gotten you there, mm, and mm. and uh, and you know, not quite ready for the moment. Every time you think it's going to happen, all of a sudden he acts impulsive and erratic, which is kind of like the Celtics jacking up threes at the wrong time. So I I don't know you. Honestly, you could have talked me into any Roy sibling for the Celtic. I would, I, I would have gone. <laughs> there, I would have gone all for all. Kind of miserable and gonna lose. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that series is gonna go seven. I said to when we were all texting yesterday, house. I was saying I thought the road team had a chance to cover every game in the Celtic Heat series. I don't think home court advantage matters. Um, I think the series will have no more reason. Miami's gonna have games where they just don't make anything. And but it's just hot in Miami. What about the fact that it's hot in Miami? The climate is warm. What happens with Julius Randle? Oh, he's I, oh, I have a I have a counter take on Randle. Keep him. Just give me let me get let me get a forty second Knicks corner here. Okay. Yeah. Um, my most insightful future Knicks uh, roster moves comes from my nine year old son Quincy, which knows nothing about the Knicks and or basketball. But I was talking with friend of the podcast Ben Dietrich about the Knicks and potential moves they would make. And I was saying, like, you basically just have to get rid of Randall. Quincy overhears this and says, I would trade Jalen Brunson. And I was like, wait a second. Now, I would not trade Jalen Brunson if I were the Knicks. But he has what is a that? good instinct. He has a good instinct. He's like, don't trade Randall now when his value is at its lowest. So I want to keep Julius Randle until his value raises. You feature Julius Randle next season, knowing that he's not going to be there for the playoff push. RJ, gone. Julius Randle needs to come back to get a proper return for him because right now you're not going to get much. So me and Quincy collaborated to say... I as think much that's as interesting about selling high on one guy versus selling low. Can... Can I give you a Julius Randle take house? Let me hear it. We need face coaches. Some Ooh. people just have weird faces when they play sports, right? Randall has a face that when things aren't going well, you really see it on his face, especially in the HD era with the close-ups. And it's like he has what whatever the basketball player equivalent of resting bitch face is. He's got that Facts. just like pouty weird look on his face. So either you work with him in the offseason, not on like you know, like a jump hook, anything like that. You just work on expressions, managing like your expressions, seeming like happy. Like you're on, like when I, when I did the countdown show, I had to learn how to not tap my hands on the desk because I would just have this nervous energy. But then you realize, oh, you have to seem perfectly still when you do TV. You can't really move. You got to be like this. You can't nod. You, you pick of, up no, all these no, tricks. Brief nods. I'm a big nodder. Brief nodder. Occasional nodder, but you can't do like the, the, the steady nodding as someone else talking. No, draws too much Randall attention. just, you work all summer on his faces. Other option, 
you grow the James Harden beard, so I can't see your face at all. Can't see the face. <laughs> I'm it's just the eyes, though. Beard hair. It's really his eyes are the big problem. He needs a lot of eye work with the face doctor. I, I actually heard so maybe this, got that, maybe a beard and goggles, or maybe like a Jalen Brown mask. I heard Julius Randle had an exit interview with the body language doctor and the body language doctor called out sick that day because he did not want to discuss it. That's, <laughs> something I heard. That's just something I heard. Is that true? What if the Knicks said, hey, you know that thing Jalen Brown is wearing to protect his broken orbital bone? We just want you to wear that all season. Then, then we'll never know. Then, I think he just likes it. Is, is he really protected? Did he not wear it like four games ago? He's got some superstition with it because he took it off a couple of games ago and then he got hit in the face again. So now he's like, yeah, I'm never taking this it. up. I think he likes um, it. All right. I kept you guys up too late. House, Jacoby, great to see you as always. House, we got the PGA. It's Who am I betting right on? Now. Should I make a bet right now? I mean, there are three um, live guys in the top 10, including Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. The first round's not quite over yet. There's another guy ahead of him. But um, I have a take. I am live betting um, as soon as the first round is over Rory McIlroy who finished mm. one over par but the way that he grabbed the round he he started off terribly. Uh, he was three over through the front nine but he shot two under on the back and it lo really looked like something started to click so I think the odds are going to be insane I'm live betting Roy, Rory McIlroy before the start of the second round tomorrow. Shikobi don't listen to that. I, I really, I really think he found something. I really do. I, Don't. The only way I enjoy professional golf is I live bet hole by hole, just based on nothing. You know what I mean? It really locks <laughs> me in. I'm just like, oh, is he going to get par? I'm like, yeah, forty dollars. He is. <laughs> you know how James Harden is Daryl Morey's Achilles heel. That's that's Rory McIlroy for Joe. Maybe House. so. Maybe so. I, I don't there's, even know how much no money you've lost on him. James Harden. They can't keep James Harden. Nah, they're going to keep him. He loves him. Uh, all right, Jacoby House, great to see you. Thanks for staying up with me. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay. That can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system, comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. 
That is simplysafe.com slash BS. All right, Derek Thompson is here. He writes for The Atlantic. He hosts an awesome podcast for us called Plain English. And we had been texting and talking about AI, a topic that he has covered on his podcast multiple times, a relatively new genre, vertical, whatever you want to call it. I was going to wait until after the NBA playoffs so we could do like a big ass AI episode, you and I. And we can't wait any longer. This is this is happening so fast. It is anecdotally in so many different conversations I'm having with different people in different walks of life, like sports, music, culture, Spotify. Um, this is a tsunami right now. And the only thing I can even compare it to, Derek, is in the mid-90s when the internet went from, oh, what's this? To, wait, you're not on email? And then all of a sudden it felt like everything shifted in 1996 and 97. It feels like this is happening right now in May, 2023. Something is happening, something is different, and this is the dominant topic. Your thoughts? I want to hear all of the gossip morsels that you have for me from music and sports and all of these domains. But I think it's really useful to start with like a brief bit of history here. I think it was like one year ago that you and I had a conversation about the next era of tech. Because as you noted, tech seemed to be kind of exhausted with itself, right? Crypto was in the toilet. Metaverse was like in some whatever septic tank below the toilet. Social media, which was supposed to be the future, all these companies were struggling in their own way. Meta had had an awful year. Snap, TikTok was flirting with getting banned. In streaming, Netflix had lured the entire entertainment industry into what they said was this green pasture of digital streaming. Everyone follows them out of the green pasture and the Netflix is, is like, oh, never mind. Actually, it's, uh, it's sinking sand. Uh, enjoy being fucked. And everyone's like, okay, where does tech go from here? Where is the green light? And I said AI not because I had some crystal ball in my hands, but because I was like, nothing else seems to be growing. But there's this technology, again, this is the middle of last year, this technology called GPT-3 that was incredibly impressive. And some people are playing around with this large language model and it's producing these weird and incredibly normally human, intelligent seeming paragraphs and prompts. And I thought, you know, this is neat. We'll see where this goes. In the fall after we spoke, the engineers at that company, OpenAI, decided they wanted to basically offer a new skin, a new interface to allow the public to play around with this tool that had mostly just been the domain of nerds. This thing was not supposed to break the internet, Bill. OpenAI did not expect ChatGPT to blow up the world. Microsoft, which was in business with OpenAI, did not expect it to blow up the world. Other people in the industry that were working with large language models at Meta, at Google, the smartest AI people in the world, they didn't think ChatGPT was going to be anything either. And they were all wrong. Everyone was wrong. ChatGPT launches on November 30th last year. Bill, November 30th, that was week 12 of the NFL season. It was 20 right. games into the current NBA season. The Lakers were 7 and 12. Long story short, first 100 days, ChatGPT gets 100 million users. It's the fastest growing consumer application in history. And I tell that brief history and, and emphasize the recency of this technology because when something is growing this fast and when a trend is basically exponential like this, it is essential to make predictions. You have to try to guess where this thing is going to go because you don't know where it's going to be in the next week and it could change your business in six months. But at the same time, whenever something is growing, this quickly, it is so hard for those predictions to be accurate. 
I can't remember the last thing that has affected basically every single thing I care about business, sports, culture, um, the, who, everyone I work with, my kids. This is even like, like anecdotally with my kids, just how this has taken over where this is now, it's like, do I do this? The, if I, if I feel like other kids are doing this, you're, you're almost like a mid nineties baseball player. I have to take steroids because everyone else is taking steroids. And I just went against somebody who threw 98 miles an hour. There's no way to regulate it. There's no way to police it. And um, I, I, I don't even know where to start, but let's start here. When this happened with the internet in the mid nineties, there was this one side of like, holy shit, this is so cool. I can't believe we can do this, 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 this. And it just immediately started, you know, interacting with our lives in all these different ways. Then there was the safety scary part of it. And the conversations I've been in the last couple of weeks, the safety scary part is the part now people are going, well, wait a second, this is going too fast. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Um, two examples. One, if they can replicate my voice and AI person just trying to cause harm calls my son, but it's not me and says, come meet me at this location. And my son's like, oh yeah, my car broke down, come get me. And my son goes there and whatever. Like, so you have all of that stuff, all the terrible ways that can go. And then the other side is just being able to lift somebody's voice, being able to basically recreate somebody um, to steal music, which has already been happening, to create music and the sounds of people, to create visual stuff that actors that could look like, like there's all these things and we know how this goes. Nobody's gonna be able to regulate this forever. Now, when this happened with the internet in the mid nineties, we all panicked, we freaked out. Oh my God, I'm, I'll never put my credit card online. S most of it turned out fine. There was still some really bad stuff, right? And that took a while and then we're still kind of unpacking the bad stuff but we were kind of a little too panicky about it. Is there reason to be even more panicky about this AI stuff in your opinion? These are really, really good questions. Okay, so the way that I try to force myself to talk about this subject is that I try to stay out of the future tense until I have to jump into it. Because it's so easy to say, oh, this kind of thing is gonna be possible and it's gonna happen. You know, this kind of thing is gonna be possible and it's gonna happen. But you wanna remind yourself, wait, what's happening right now? How are people using this technology right now? What is What are the news headlines of the day, not the predictions people are making in the future? So I wrote this article for The Atlantic that I sort of cheekily called, AI is a waste of time. And what I meant by that isn't that AI is just a waste of time. It's that when I reflect on my own use of ChatGPT, and when I reflect my own use of MidJourney, which is a text-to-image AI prompt, uh, you know, you can say, you know, I want to see Derek in the style of, you know, Van Gogh on Mars with a cowboy hat. It can make some really incredible photorealistic images. When I reflected on how I'm using these technologies, I thought, I'm actually not using them to be more productive all the time. I'm using them to waste time, to sort of test the technology, right. to sort of see what it can do. And so as productivity enhancing as all this technology might eventually be for many different industries. Right now, I think it's probably productivity sapping for a lot of industries because people are just playing around with it to see where it goes. Now, maybe that'll flip. Maybe the games people are playing now will be the work that people do of the future. But right now, I think a lot of people are just testing this thing to see what is possible. And it's important to say before we predict that this is going to change everything, which by the way, I think is possible. We don't have a number one hit TV show written by AI. 
We don't have a number one song written by AI. We don't have an epidemic of Bill Simmons style media celebrities having their voices stolen by AI arsons and spammed to place bogus calls to their families to create scenarios that become catastrophic. That, that kind of stuff isn't happening yet. Of course it doesn't mean it can't happen in the future, but, but it's not happening yet. So you wanna look at everything that's happening now and say, how are people actually using this? Fundamentally, I see in a lot of cases, yes, computer programmers are doing it to accelerate their work. Yes, people in Hollywood are using it to see if they can write stories, but a lot of people are still in the mode of just plaguing with this. Now, let's go to the future. How could this be used in the future? Well, let's stick to music. And we can, we can go back to the spam thing because that is freaky and plausible. But, but in music, I'm very interested in the legal debates that are happening right now in terms of how these kind of mix and match technologies can be, can be used by consumers. I think what you're going to see is the recording music industry saying, we're going to try to sue AI companies on two fronts. We're gonna to try to sue to keep you from using our music to train your algorithms. And we're gonna to try to keep you from selling music, from making a bunch of money, because you just wrote your own song and plugged in the voice of Drake or plugged in the voice of Bad Bunny. So there's gonna be a lot of really interesting like legal problems with the way AI is used in music. But in the short term, I do think a lot of people are gonna use this to kind of just play around. Just last quick thing. Grimes, the musician who was previously married to Elon Musk, um, came out with an app that allows her fans to make music and then dub in her voice um, in the music that they make. And she said, if you guys release this and make money from it, there's gonna be a royalty sharing agreement that we have. So I make a little bit and you make a little bit. Maybe we get a huge Grimes hit, but I wonder whether, again, a lot of people are just gonna use this to kind of F around, you know, to like, uh, send like a message to their friend, but in the voice of Grimes to just kind of be funny. So a lot of things are happening here. And I do think that, that the legal challenges that this is going to pose to the music industry are going to be utterly fascinating. Well, it reminds me a little of when uh, rap started to take off in the 80s, when they just it was like a free for all for sampling old songs. And it wasn't really governed. And it kind of was, but it was like, you're going to pay, but nobody was even thinking that way because it was such an early version of the form. And then eventually there was this, wait a second. And we had that wait a second moment. We have that with all these different things. Like the writer strike right now, which is happening. And AI was one of the things that got thrown in. And I don't see any way, like zero, that the studios would go, oh yeah, well, Ben, forget it. We'll get rid of AI because... Let's face it, the studios, you know, they're they're going to be thinking about profits and they're going to be thinking about repeatability and sustainability. They're not giving up on that yet when they don't know what the technology is. And I think that's, depending on how hard the writers fight for that, that's going to be a real sticking point. But when you think about it, and I think this is both scary to me, but also makes sense to me. All right, like Law and Order or um, the Chicago Fire Show. Or, I don't know, pick pick any generic sitcom. There's a formula to all of those. Like you go on Netflix and it's like, oh, there's a new, there's something wrong with the house movie. Oh, there's a couple, they're moving in. Oh, look how cute their kid is. Wait, what's wrong with the attic? AI is going <laughs> to just be able to take like 300 horror movies that have something wrong with the house, right? And AI will be able to write a script and basically create their own version of that. So now I don't need a writer. 
for same thing for the Dick Wolf universe. Dick Wolf might already be AI. He might not even really exist. He might have been replaced 10 years ago, but it'll just be the same procedural with the same beats. So I think for just starting with art, I think all of a sudden there are these huge stakes already. And if I'm at any of these big companies, what do companies always do? They always try to replace human labor with computers. We saw it happen with phone operators when I was a kid. Like this is kind of where their mind drifts. Oh, I can just get rid of humans and have machines do this? I think this is conceivable. It is absolutely conceivable. This is where I don't think you need too much of an imagination to see that this is basically here. And if it's not literally here, it's going to happen tomorrow. Like the strikers right now want, as I understand it, a guarantee that the studios aren't going to cut them out of royalty payments by crediting AI tools like ChatGPT when they come up with storylines. But there is just no way that a studio producer or a Netflix executive isn't going to play around with ChatGPT and come upon a story whereby legally they should retain the credit for that story. Like, well, it's, especially it's, if they own the show, like if they own Law and Order, it's basically they're using the AI instead of the writer. I don't know what the what rights the writers would have. This is like one of the 95 fascinating things about AI right now. It, it really is. So I, I was playing around with this. I, I have GPT-4, which is the advanced version of ChatGPT. And, um, you know, it's really freaking weird. I asked it to essentially write me uh, an episode of Chicago Fire. Maybe that's just like the, the most GPT-able <laughs> television show. And I, right. I just said, quote, write me a story outline for a one-hour TV show in the mode of Dick Wolf about a team of firefighters taking on a blaze that injures one of their own. The plot should include a mystery about who started the fire, two love developments, and two twists, the second of which should come at the end of the episode and set up a shocking season finale. Now, look, I don't think that the story outline that I got is A+, but it's not, it's not B-. It's like A-, B+. It's, it was a really interesting treatment for 56 minutes of television. And I could absolutely imagine just like giving that printout to a team of writers and saying, this is the new episode. So, that, But that's, you can, that's the key to this. The, they can create the template for whatever the episode is, hand it to the writers, and the AI almost becomes the head writer. Hey guys, that, knock yourself out with this. And that's not even the end of the process, Bill. So there's this idea that some people talk about called sandwiching in writing with AI. And sandwiching means that I prompt AI, I ask a question like, you know, I want to write an article about what 20th century technology artificial intelligence is like. Give me five examples. It comes back with, you know, nuclear weapons, penicillin, a bunch of other stuff, you know, the internet. Then after that, I can take the material and craft an article, right? There are AI apps now that can help people with the second half of that. There's an AI app called Pickaxe, which allows screenwriters essentially to get around writer's block so that they throw in some basic features of a story they want to tell. And Pickaxe suggests various plot lines that they can put into a story. Okay, that's pretty good. But Wait, now so, here's even so like Jesse Armstrong doing Succession is like, all right, Logan Roy's funeral. Shit, I don't know what to do with the eulogy scene and just kind of basically feeds all of it to AI. And AI is like, what if you do this? Yeah, right. I've got a story that is like basically loosely based on the Murdoch Empire and King Lear. And I've got a son who's basically Hamlet and I've got a little dipshit called Roman and I've got Shiv. Here's the <laughs> here's the plot lines of how we got to right. the end of this of the series. Give me seven ways the story can end. When, when you learn how to play with it in an advanced way, you can give it more than that. You can say give of those seven ways that, that this season can end. 
Give me three that are obvious. Give me two that are slightly less obvious. And give me two or three more that are really mind-bendy and weird. And you can take all these and then mix and mash them together and write essentially the treatment of the last, you know, two episodes of, of succession. But again, it's one step further. Again, on the sandwiching side, once you've written that script, you can still plug writing into ChatGPT and say, tell me what you think of this. If I write an essay that's kind of complicated, that's making a bunch of different points, and I don't know that I'm getting the point across, I can take that essay, put it into ChatGPT and say, what point do you think I'm making? computer. And it can tell me, here's what I think your thesis is. And if I think that's wrong, I can go back and say, oh, I have not been clear enough in my writing. So not only can you use ChatGPT in this case, like a research assistant or like a brainstorming assistant, you can also use it like an editor. And that raises all sorts of questions for writers like me. I mean, exactly like me. The Atlantic just published its AI policy a few days ago. It raises a lot of really important ethical questions. AI policy? How do I yeah. How do we talk about, how do writers like me and other people at The Atlantic talk about their use of AI? Is it just like Google, where I would never disclose that I Googled something when I to research it? Or is it kind of like a person where if I took a paragraph from a book, that's clearly a copyright infringement of the book. That's not honestly fully human. Like there's so many messy questions when the future of artistic and creative work becomes more chimerical. It's not merely human. It's like human plus monster. That's a very, very strange future to be entering. Yeah, so I had a friend, I have a friend who's in a company that invests in different businesses. And he said a lot of the businesses right now, the small startup stuff are all AI based, right? And he was telling me, and this is when I, I ended up calling you a day later because I was like, what's going on with this stuff? He was like, yeah, in like three, four years, there'll be some bot of you that listens to all the podcasts you've done, is able to absorb all of it. Maybe they even look at all the writing you've done. They create some sort of bot version of you. And then somebody after a Celtic game could be like, I'm going to talk to the Bill Simmons bot and see what he thought of the game. And by the way, the bot would probably be exactly where I was after game one against Miami, where I'd be like, oh my God, our coach is fucking serious up. Why didn't we call time out in the third quarter? I'm pretty sure the bot would hit all the beats I would hit with my dad coming when we talked uh, the next day. Um, but when he said that, and then I'm thinking, all right, well, that actually makes somewhat, would people rather interact with the bot or listen to my podcast? Do I have control over the bot? And then, you know, cause we've had this in movies and TVs. If, you can't just use Al Pacino's voice for a Mazda commercial, right? Right. Al Pacino will sue you. So it just feels like there's going to be all this ethical legal stuff that will be basically the next 10 years. But the history of this stuff is you can get away with what you can get away with before the rules come in. They can't get away with it anymore. It takes forever to make these rules. Do we do we trust the Supreme Court to come up with like a great strategy for this? I certainly don't. Yeah, I'm not a legal expert, so I agree that the legal questions are incredibly thorny and fascinating. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in that for a second. I want to return to the idea of uh, chat BS, essentially turning you and your voice into the AI. BS because, bot. Yeah, the B. I, I see no reason why something like BS bot for other media-facing celebrities won't be a thing. I mean, it already is a thing for Grimes, the musician, right? She's the first out of the box saying, use my voice, I don't care, put it in your songs, let's make music together, we'll share the royalties, go have fun. Other people are gonna do this. And it raises interesting questions of, okay, where is this most useful? So, you know, you do work like you have ad reads, 
do you have to do all the ad reads? If you sign off on the Bill Simmons bot reading the Simply Safe ad, well, then maybe that's legal. Well, I love Simply and Safe. I would, totally I would always a, want a human yeah, touch of Simply Safe. But don't come, best don't come for Simply no, no, Safe. I'm glad you brought this up because I, I don't think I'm. I don't think Spotify is going to get mad at me for this. Like we're developing that stuff and we're, there mm. is going to be a way to use my voice for the ads. You have to obviously give the approval for the voice, but it opens up from an advertising standpoint, all of these different great possibilities for you could have localized. Let's say we did a thing with like a ticket, ticket resale or something like that. You could geo target that for each city. I, the more interesting thing for me with that is, could you take my podcast? Like, me and House and Jacoby talking about Game 2 Lakers Nuggets, which will be right before this part of the podcast. Could they take that and make AI Spanish version of it? Could they put mm. it in French? Could the AI people, could they take the translations and just quickly take our voices and just make a podcast in 35 languages that reacts to the game? To me, that doesn't, that, this is what's so crazy about AI. That, that actually seems realistic to me. It seems realistic and it's not entirely clear to me that that's dystopian either. Like if you right. and House and Jacoby have all signed contracts to Spotify, essentially saying, I allow my voice to be AI manipulated exclusively for, and House is a lawyer, he'll be, yeah. he'll be able to recite this better than I can, but exclusively for uh, local market translations and for no other purpose. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a wonderful thing. Like there might be people in, you know, Czech Republic who want to listen to your podcast or vaguely aware who like the Celtics and would listen to a show like this, except for the language barrier. Um, I think that's well, a and then what really, happens, really like, interesting what application get, of it. If I get hit by a bus, people are like, man, I really miss Bill's podcast. It's like, no, he's back. <laughs> he's now a bot. <laughs> a zombie Bill now recording on the zombie heat. Yeah, yeah exactly. the zombie Bill Simmons podcast. We'd probably get sponsors <laughs> for it. Presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's actually, Bill, this is interesting. So um, the economist Tyler Cowen, uh, who has yeah. a really interesting podcast, did a chat GPT interview with the philosopher and author Jonathan Swift the author of Gulliver's Travels, who, spoiler alert, is extremely dead. But right. he asked him all these questions. And because, again, this is a pre-trained technology. It's pre-trained on a corpus of, of literature. And so if you're a dead author who's published a ton of writings, well, the technology is going to be really good at pattern matching and predicting what you're going to say in response to various questions. And so Tyler is talking to a, I think, British or Scottish or Irish, I don't remember like exactly where Jonathan Swift was born, actor reading ChatGPT scripts that are responding to questions the way that this dead author might have responded to questions. I mean, that is actually exactly the kind of zombie relationship that you're describing, except it's zombie Jonathan Swift. You could, I think, imagine all sorts of ways that we could essentially bring back, this is, this is creepy in a way, but we, we could have bizarrely very similar conversations with dead intellectuals, asking them about what, how they would respond to issues of the day. And that is this process of zombification that you're talking about. It's not, it's not their voice, but maybe 50 years from now, when we have a ton of recordings of certain people's voices, we'll be able to do that too. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's good or creepy or a fascinating research project or unbelievably unethical. Like it might in a weird way be all four at the same time, but there's just no question. It is so, so interesting. Let's take a break and a couple more things on everything we talk about. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. The experts at eBay know that inspecting every tick of your next watch is time well spent. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, you can trust that every tick of your next timepiece is authentic. Time and time again, every movement inspected, every crown checked and face verified. eBay dedicates time to the details and with authenticity guarantee, they've got your back. Shop with the same confidence you'll feel when you put on that new timepiece. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Just quickly on the on the art side of things and the zombie part of it. So let's say David Chase wanted to bring back the Sopranos and we had the technology. James Gandolfini passed away, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. And he has the technology plus all the AI voice stuff where it could be like, I can basically make old Tony Soprano. I can make Tony, Tony Soprano didn't die. Now we're 16 years later, 17 years later, 18 years later, he's an old mobster in New Jersey and here's his life. And I can have an actor playing him. I can do face stuff to make it really seem like it's Gandolfini. And I can have the voice saying all the lines. I don't think David Chase would do this, but my point is, I do think in 10 years, we will be able to do stuff like this and some people are going to do it. It's too creepy for me to imagine it being a hit, but it's also, uh, the word that came to my mind is cool. And I'm not sure that cool is is the perfect word for it, but I'll, I'll run with it anyway. It's cool enough that you know this is a technology that people are going to use. And this is where I want to return to my point about play. If you imagined a democratized, cheap, readily available technology that could put zombie AI Gandolfini in all sorts of situations, that would replace all sorts of memes in my imagination, right? It would, it would, people would talk to each other um, and right. make Sopranos fanfic media using this technology like for an audience memes. of- Yeah, right, exactly. It would be for an audience of like five though, not an audience of five million. And that's where I think, you know, if to the extent that I'm I'm like working on a couple of sort of like, you know, big picture ideas about like, where are we going with AI? What does it mean in like the grand sweep of like, you know, the last 100 years of media? And I was having a conversation recently with someone where they said, you know, the 20th century was really an era of mass production. And for a long time, we've been headed for an era of narrow casting. So if you think of the 20th century as like mass production plus broadcast, That is, the shows like Cheers are made to be watched by uh, 50 million people and they're broadcast 50 million people. Okay, in the early 21st century, we move to mass production plus narrow cast. So you have 
art and entertainment that is made for tens of millions of people. But Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds and Instagram feeds and TikTok feeds are all specific. They're all narrowcast for you. So you're yeah. getting an individualized slice of mass production. What might happen in the future is that you get individual production plus narrowcast, if that makes sense. So ChatGPT writes just for you. If you prompt ChatGPT to write, you know, a Dick Wolf episode and I prompt it to write a Dick Wolf episode, we will get two different Dick Wolf episodes. But how far does that personalization process go? Could you imagine AI songs written just for you? I like this Taylor Swift song, but do it in the style of you too. Could you imagine video games that change in response to individualized user requests so that in effect, no one is playing the exact same game? That I think is the really spooky, weird promise of AI, that we already understand that we live in a world of fragmentation, right? You used to have alter, like Uncle Walter Cronkite, and now everyone gets their news from their own podcast and newsletter. How far can AI take that where people can individuate their consumption of media so much that everyone is consuming their own personalized thing on their own narrowcast? That's where I think it gets really weird and interesting. I asked somebody in the music industry, just give me two AI points and here were the two. And this is a person who knows things. He said, authenticity always wins regardless of how this AI thing comes out. And that, that's an interesting point just in general that humans are always going to want the humans to win with the stuff, right? So even with art and any of this kind of stuff, I'm always going to want the song that was made by a real human over the song that was made you know, by a robot. Cause then all that does is tell us deep down in our souls that, you know, we're all kind of just on a hamster wheel and there's no, nothing special about any of us. We can just be replicated by it. So we're, I feel like the human part of it. Um, and also like from actually being able to perform, which is where like in the music industry, most of the money is really coming now from concerts, like this Taylor Swift tour that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. you can't have an AI concert. So that, so there's one, there's a piece of that that's just never going to change. The other thing he said, this is a positive one. Like think of, cause everyone's going to go the negatives. Like we just did for a half hour. I was like, think of the positives. Like how's this going to change healthcare? Mm. What if there is an AI healthcare app that I could just put in my symptoms and it just immediately figures out exactly what I need and gets the medicine and, um, you know, we're all like Google doctors these days, but what if AI can really diagnose, hey, I've noticed these nine things are going on with you right now and that could be this. It's a little like with the stupid watches that we talked about the last time you were on that my wife was going crazy that she only got a 74 sleep, but maybe that maybe <laughs> AI will figure out a better way for us to take care of ourselves. So that's a positive, Derek. Those are two really good examples. Let me try to hit them one by one. So the first thing you said that I absolutely agree with is that people like people. Like <laughs> Taylor God. Swift fans are not fans of the sound of Taylor Swift's music, no matter where it comes from. They are super fans for her. They love her. They have parasocial relationships with her. And I see no evidence. As I said at the top, there is no number one AI TV show. There is no number one 
AI musician. If that changes, I'm ready to change my hypothesis that people love people. But art is about this relationship between human fans and human artists because it's not just about the product. Yeah, AI can write stuff, but people are fans of people. So that's number one. Number two, I'm really glad that you brought up the science medicine part because I've had a lot of really interesting conversation with scientists um, and doctors about how this technology is being used. And I think the best way to think about it is sort of short-term, medium-term, long-term. So short-term is being used in a lot of prosaic ways. Like so much of being a scientist these days it's like writing a bibliography and writing like a lit review of some paper that you want to be published in Nature Journal. That takes days sometimes. Now you can do it in minutes, possibly. Mm. And that's really fantastic. That'll change time and hopefully that'll improve science. Medium term, Bill, you nailed it. It's, it's diagnostics. You know, we already live in a world where if you have a stomach ache and your, fo- and your foot is swollen and you can't see out of your right eye, by the time you go to your doctor, you're going to use your one good eye to Google all those symptoms and come in with a theory. This is what I think I have. You know, it's, I, I think it's gout. And he says it's not gout. And then you have a fight about whether or not it's gout. They're going to have better diagnostic tools. And you can so easily imagine that a human doctor plus a high-quality diagnostic large language model or a, di- high, a high-quality diagnostic AI is going to be a, um, a, a richer diagnostic experience. The long-term possibilities are what really, really thrill me. Um, let me try to do this quickly because it's, it's a little bit complicated, but I think it's so interesting. If you think about like what ChatGPT does, ChatGPT maps words in a multidimensional space to understand the relationship between every world word that exists so that when you prompt it, it can build a kind of map of meaning from all of those words that you understand to be a correct answer. And that is amazing that it can do this. But sometimes I think like, all right, ChatGPT is fluent in the language of English, the language of English, but there are other quote unquote languages that exist that humans might not be fluent in yet. So for example, if you think about like the human body, our cells are talking to each other. Our mRNA is talking to our proteins. Our T cells are talking to diseases. We just don't know what the F they're saying. But biology, anatomy is a language. It's just a language that we humans are not fluent in yet. But two years ago, there was a project at DeepMind called AlphaFold which cracked the mystery of protein folding. You could, say, you could say essentially, and this is not too metaphorical, that it cracked the language of proteins. And if our bodies essentially are a language that we aren't fluent in, that AI can understand the same way it understands English, then it might be able to have all sorts of breakthroughs about cancer and polygenic disease that we aren't even close to cracking. And that's really like the long-term, faraway, utopian hope is that it is building, we are building a kind of intelligence that will let us go so much further in answering the most important questions of human lifespans and medicine. And I am, I am mildly optimistic that on a long enough time horizon, 10, 15 years, we're going to see miraculous stuff come down the pike from our artificial intelligent understanding of our bodies. Yeah, it made me think of, you did a great podcast a few months ago about dieting mm. and the concept of how have we not cracked the code of dieting? There's all these different diets. Why hasn't one of them won? Where's the, where's the one that's just, this is the way to do it. Like in basketball where they're like, take more three pointers. Everybody's like, yeah, you should take, and then just 
But dieting's not like that. And the answer, which I think you, I forget the guess. Who was the guest? Oh, we had we had two guests, but we, yeah, we had a we had a guest from from Harvard endocrinologist, and and then we had I had some writers on as well to talk about sort of like meta analyses. And you know, one of the upshots well, about go, sorry, I was going to say one of the one of the guests, but the the basic conclusion was there is no answer. Every person's different, mm-hmm. and the diet is what works for you. It doesn't mean it's going to work for my wife. It doesn't mean it's going to work for my son. Everybody's different. Everything hits something differently. And it makes me think with AI, if AI can figure out a way to basically what each person, what what they like, what they don't like, what affects them. Because like yesterday, my son brought, he, my son went and got bagels. He's like, you want a bagel? I never eat bagels. I'm like, you know what? I fucking want a bagel today. Give me a toasted <laughs> onion bagel with cream cheese. I had it. I was in a coma for like two and a half hours. So it was like barely functional. <laughs> it's like, why did I have this bagel? But clearly if I eat a bagel with cream cheese in the middle of the day, I'm just going to suck for until three in the afternoon. My body knows this. If you had a, like basically your AI manager and it takes in all the input and I eat every day and I'm like, this made me feel good. I had this, I felt terrible. Oh, I had truffles yesterday. That was a disaster. And then AI basically scripts out what I should eat every day maybe I'm leading a better life. I mean, that, so back to your point of like how some of this stuff might be a lot better. I I do think that's going to happen. I think it's going to happen too. And, you know, I, I want to reserve the possibility. I think we spent a lot of time on, on the downsides and obviously there's lots of ways that AI could go wrong. But just a, another vote for optimism here. You could imagine the combination of wearables and AI being really powerful. Because if you've got an Apple Watch or you've got some next generation Apple Watch and you eat a bagel in this AI-inflected future and the Apple Watch has some way of measuring the fact that you are incredibly lethargic or maybe you just tap two buttons to indicate extreme lethargy on your phone, then maybe it, it remembers your history a little bit better and it is it is informing you as you go about your life little things that might make you happier. So I, I know someone working on a stealth project that is... Um, I think he would describe it as her, uh, the technology from the movie Her, but with right. the romance lobotomized out of it. So it can't fall in love with you, but it is still a personal assistant in your ear that can follow you around and talk to you if you want to be talked to by it. And I think that having a kind of extraneous intelligence essentially remember all sorts of things for you that you wouldn't otherwise remember. You're a busy guy. You've got, Bill, you got, you got all these jobs. You might not remember, like if I have the, you know, the bagel at 11 a.m., I'm going to be lethargic until 2 p.m. But if some extraneous intelligence is remembering that for you, I think that could really, really help. Uh, I I think it help a lot of people because there's just so much going on. It's nice to have another macro brain always running alongside you. Well, I was thinking it would have helped Joe Missoula during game one of the Heat series where like, Joe, they can't miss a shot. Call timeout. <laughs> Your team needs the three minutes to think about this. And so in sports, though, couldn't you see this kind of changing? Like we've already seen in sports, we had all this, the data revolution changed the way we played basically every sport in, in some ways for the worse. Like in baseball, I actually think they've had to make these new rules just to kind of undo some of the damage. And I wonder now with AI, could you do this in football? Could you have AI script out? You know, they always say Kyle Shannon, he scripted out his first 15 plays. Maybe AI scripts out like 80 and they script out every scenario. Like you're down 10 to Joe Burrow. It's the third quarter. Here are the six plays you should run so you could have a long drive. I think all that stuff's coming too. I don't think that's crazy. 
With Joe Mazzulla, he needs the equivalent of Apple Watch's reminder to stand. Just like every hour, it buzzes your wrist and, and says, yeah, maybe you should stand. Right, exactly. Yeah, you, you, your team is down 17 points this quarter. Like, maybe you should yeah. call your timeout. When it comes to sports, I the reason I am a little bit less optimistic is that I wrote this piece about what I call the dark side of Moneyball, which is that lots of entertainment industries, as they get smarter, their products get, quote unquote, dumber or at least less interesting. So as baseball got smarter, you had an increase in strikeouts, an increase in walks, and an increase in singles. You had an increase in all the, excuse me, and, and, um, and home runs. You had an increase in all the, the three true outcomes, and there were fewer base runners, essentially, than ever. In basketball, I think you've seen, I think it's fair to say that, although I, I've loved the playoffs, you've seen an, an homogenization of styles. There's a huge, broad understanding that yep. three points is worth more than two points, and teams should shoot more threes. You could argue you've seen the same in Hollywood. Like, look at the top 10 movies of every year this century. It is all movies with numbers in them. Gardens of the Galaxy 3, adaptations, sequels, and reboots. You look at music. Songs tend to stay at the top of the music charts for longer than they used to, and people are listening to older songs more than they used to. You could argue that music is getting more repetitive than it was. So in all these industries that have theoretically become a little bit more boring or less diverse, it's not happening because the industries are getting dumber. It's happening precisely because they're getting smarter. And I'm, I would be a little bit worried that AI would make the homogenization of strategies in sports a little bit worse if everyone's essentially drawing from the same large language model to decide should I pass in the situation? Should I run? Should I go for fourth down? It might lead to everyone essentially doing the equivalent of, you know, taking a, a three, 40% of the game. Was that a speech for Daryl Morey to maybe mix it up with the Sixers? Felt, it, felt, it felt veiled. It felt like you were calling him out a tiny bit. It's, it no, is, I'm with is you. Not veiled at all. I think, you know, Daryl said that he's in favor. Uh, I, I don't know how sincere this is, but he's in favor of making uh, the three-point line worth 2.5 points in order to change his strategy, right? Even he is saying the finite strategies that people like me are pursuing are leading to an infinite strategy that's making the game a little bit more homogenous and boring. And maybe one way to, if you want to fix it, don't tell me, Daryl, to fix it. Fix the rule. And then, right. you know, then the Sloan nerds of the world will change their strategies based on the new rule. Well, basketball is a good example. Just get, get rid of the actual corner three, mm -hmm. make that two, and, you know, it would go. I think uh, the last piece, we didn't talk about this. The sports will be, you know, it not hard to figure out. The last piece we didn't talk about was the safety security piece. And, you know, everybody's mind when they hear about AI goes to, well, what happens when AI overrides something and all of a sudden people are bombing each other and we all die? Um, that I do not have answers on, Derek Thompson. I don't know. Um, these certain been the plot of a lot of movies over the years, including War Games, which came out 40 years ago. Um, but, uh, that one I'm a little more dubious on. And that seems like that's going to have to involve coordination between countries and world leaders and things that generally the world hasn't been great at these days. So how does that play out? Well, this is, thank you for uh, the alley-oop. This was the last episode of Plain English. It's yes. called The Future of War is Here. And we talked to the CEO of Andural, who is, which is the company that makes probably more drones and sells more drones to the US government than any other. And I talked to my friend Ross Anderson, a writer in The Atlantic, about his recent work on AI. I'd summarize it very quickly this way. I'm not against using AI to replace troops, but we should not use AI to replace generals. I don't want AI making decisions about who to invade. 
I don't want AI making decisions about command and control of nuclear weapons, but I'm not against a future where fewer of our soldiers are in the field. And I'm not against a future where we outline the borders of certain nervous countries like Ukraine with drones that make it less likely that a Russia invades. I think there are ways to use AI responsibly to reduce the likelihood of war rather than merely increase the likelihood of some kind of atomic catastrophe. But that said, and you mentioned this, this has to be done so carefully. And like nuclear weapons, this is not something where if the US comes up with its own rules, then our rules work for the entire world. No, China's gonna have its own rules and Russia's gonna develop its own chat GPTs and so is Pakistan and Brazil. All these countries are going to eventually have these tools. And we need something like a Montreal Protocol or United Nations to bring countries together, even if they're geopolitical adversaries and say, can we find some way that we reduce the likelihood of automated apocalypse? Do you think fake me and fake you are talking in 10, 10 years about how AI is doing in 2033? I think, th- I think we are, but I don't think anyone's listening. That's, that's the thing that's really hard to overcome is that you yeah. know, making a little, making a, a, making a you know, chat bill that you tell a joke to your friend if you both listen to the Simmons podcast for years and years, that's, that's funny. That's an audience of two. Making making robot, making zombie bill for an audience of 2 million, that's so much harder and very unlikely because people listen to you because they want to know what you actually think, not what a robot that plausibly sounds and plausibly thinks like you thinks. You know, I was thinking, I was trying to think how would, how would uh, AI help me the most just week to week, right? What one thing would it help the most? And I was thinking it would help the most with the rewatchables prep because mm. the rewatchables it's basically a script. I have all these categories. So I'll do all the research and I'll put the stuff in the different categories. Then I'll watch the movie and I'll put different observations in there. And technically AI could figure out exactly what the script is. They could examine the movie, put the things in and just lay it out for me and save me three to four hours of, of work even before I watch the movie. The problem is the podcast wouldn't be as good because I wouldn't be coming up with these different ideas and thoughts as I'm doing the research. And, oh, I, I see this and I'm like, oh, that makes me think of this. I don't see how AI is ever going to replicate that. Um, and maybe it could lay out a kind of a basic script of, oh, here are all the, 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 like half facet internet research we do on that. For the most part, it still needs like my brain to kind of, you know, be the chef. And I'm sure you're in the same same thing with some of the pieces you're working on. Like you could have AI like basically lay the foundation, but then you're not thinking about it as you're writing about it. And it's just not going to be as good. I totally agree. Uh, I found it most useful at two things. And the first, I can't think of its relevance to the rewatchables. It's pretty good at coming up with history stories. If right. you're If you're writing a book, let's say a book of basketball, and you say, I want... I'm looking for seven stories from basketball history that show that undrafted or um, overlooked players can be incredibly important in NBA finals. Give me seven examples of 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 a poorly evaluated player in the draft becoming a hero in the NBA finals. In my experience, it's pretty good at doing that. And yeah. it's not, it's, it's not, you can obviously see how that could be useful when you're writing a book and you're making a point about this idea that sometimes it's random Jason Terry's that end up swinging a series, right? J.J. Boreas. Um, 
The other way I found it's really useful is if you have a theory and you put in a chat GPT and you can say, tell me I'm wrong. Give me reasons why this is wrong. So you could say, give me reasons why um, I'm wrong in assuming that it's good to call a timeout when your team uh, is on the back end of a 20 to two run. Um, tell me why I'm wrong in saying uh, that every movie uh, with Leo might be made a little bit better uh, with Matt Damon. Like, tell me why certain theories of mine about entertainment and sports and history and technology, tell me why I'm wrong. I found it's actually really useful at doing that. Mm. And there again, you're not using it to write. You're using it to test the quality of your theory. And maybe you'll build on it. Maybe you'll say, oh, maybe I can incorporate a little bit of this into my work. But it's allowing you to do the thing that good writers should already be doing anyway. But it's frankly very hard when you're crafting a piece, which is constantly imagining this shadow ledger of arguments that is screaming at your article and telling you why every single thing you're saying is wrong. This sort of tell me why I'm wrong, magical daemon that you can have like sitting alongside you as you're writing, I found to be pretty useful. Jesus, sounds better than pot. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, shit, there was one more piece. Oh, we didn't talk about the financial aspects of this, just that could, could like hedge funds in different places put basically the history of the stock market into AI and have AI spit back the ebbs and flows of like, oh, this has now happened for nine months. That means that this is getting too good. That means we can expect some sort of bad thing to all of a sudden this will happen. And just because regardless of what's happening in society, the stock market does have a certain rhythm to it. Could AI like learn that rhythm? Theoretically, yes. And I have no doubt that wealth managers and investors and iBanks all over the world are going to try to build their own models. But I think of this as like, you know, trading is an equilibrium. There's a, there's a buyer for every seller and a seller for every buyer. And if all the institutions are going to essentially build their own language models that are yeah. looking at the same data, that are looking at the exact same history of the S&P 500 to make predictions about the next six months of the S&P 500, then it might all just wash out. Um, I've seen no evidence that AI is so much better at prediction in the long run. In a weird way, what makes AI special is the very opposite of prediction. They're not brilliant at mixing and matching things that happen in the future. There's no data from the future. They're brilliant yeah. at mixing and matching the data from the past. That's one of the reasons actually why they're so good at like pastiche that's old fashioned. If you say, you know, write me uh, this weird story in the style of the King James Bible or in the style of Shakespeare, because those things are so old and there's so much data on them on the internet, they're fantastic at that. There's no data from the future. So it's not clear to me that this very technology would be so good at anticipating things that haven't happened. So to wrap up, the only things we know for sure is that this is an incredible way for students in high school and college to cheat. Like we, we just, this is like, this is it. This is the glory days of cheating. I don't think it's ever been a better time to cheat if you're a student. I don't even know how you police it. Um, if you're, I don't know, like if you're a professor, how would you, they must have some sort of devices, right? That can like check the rhythms of it at least. Yeah, they have tools as I understand it, but uh, Ian Bogus just wrote a piece about this for The Atlantic. The upshot of his piece was um, professors are screwed right now. Like this is the Napster era of cheating. Like for those like blessed, wow. whatever, like two and a half years, right? Where you could basically <laughs> listen to any song you wanted for free. It was just, you could just download it yeah. like that. And there was no way anyone was going to um, interfere. Th that is what it is right now for writing essays, especially essays about 
established history, established mathematics, established physics. Writing essays and thinking about the future might be a little bit harder, again, because there's no information for the LLMs to gather about the future. But as I understand it, cheating is rampant. Um, and also, uh, you know, college professor letters of recommendation cheating might be rampant too. You know, the college professors might say, you know what, if none oh, of my wow. students are going to write authentic essays, I'm not going to write authentic letters of recommendation. And they could, of course, automate those as well. So I can imagine a lot of um, uh, cheating and cheating equivalent essaying uh, in high school and college. And the solution there is as obvious as it is inevitable. You have to test people in class. You have to have them write in class and you have to do oral examinations as well because if you send somebody home with a free technology that will 100% write that essay in a B plus style, you simply can't you know, say, all right, everyone just go home and put the essay question in a box uh, and get a B plus from me. I definitely would have used it. Yeah, and then the last thing to remember is just Netflix. This is gonna be horror movies, rom-coms, high school teen comedies, you know, benevolent ones where somebody's in love with somebody else. The person doesn't realize it until the 20 minute mark left in the movie. Like we're just going to see a steady wave of, of just blueprint movies that will never end. It's just different stars. And it might be one of these cases where the introduction of AI to screenwriting and I say this cynically, but not because I hate screenwriters, just because I'm aware of what so much of uh, movies and television is, we might not notice it. We might realize yeah, no, years right. after the fact that Netflix might have been doing movies, it for five years. That all these movies that we've been watching, you know, while we had dinner or just sort of, you know, looked at our phones, that the stories were inflected by AI and we didn't miss a beat because they they retraced what audiences already wanted. Audiences already wanted a kind right. of efficient predictability that AIs turned out to be excellent at. Well, I talked to Spotify a week ago because Kyle had his bachelor party mm -hmm. and it was 50-50. He came back alive. So I was like, so if <laughs> Kyle doesn't come back, can, can chat Kyle be the producer? And they're like, we're not ready yet. It's like six months away. So down the road, we might be able to replace him. Uh, all right. You can read Derek in the Atlantic and you can listen to his awesome podcast, Plain English, where you, you were in the forefront of all. You've, how many, you did at least like five AI episodes, I think, at this point. So I feel like you've been on this. But now this feels like it's going to be the summer of AI. So we had to do it now. Thanks for popping on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Dave Jacoby and Joe House. Thanks to Derek Thompson. Thanks to Kyle Crank for producing. Thanks to Steve Cerruti as well. Enjoy the weekend. Go Celtics. I will see you on Sunday night.